0: Hi, everyone. I'm Ian Wright. Make sure you check out my podcast, Writers House, every Wednesday on Ringer FC. Each week, I'm joined by a rotating panel of guests to talk about football, life, films, everything. Search for Ringer FC on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Take it easy. This episode of The Town is brought to you by FX's Feud, Capote vs. the Swans. The second installment in Ryan Murphy's Feud anthology tells the story of acclaimed writer Truman Capote once a confidant to society's most elite women, whom he nicknamed the Swans. Starring Naomi Watts, Diane Lane, Chloe Sevigny, Calista Flockhart, Demi Moore, Molly Ringwald, and Tom Hollander. For your Emmy consideration, visit fxnetworks.com FYC.
1: There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state.
0: Hello, today is Monday, April 18th. I hope you had a nice holiday weekend. If you were celebrating Passover, Easter, Ramadan, or Coachella. Coachella this weekend, first weekend of two. We're going to talk today to Lucas Shaw, our Monday morning quarterback and the head of media at at Bloomberg. He was not at Coachella, but he is a regular and he knows a lot about the music industry. And he's going to come on and talk to us about why ticket prices for concerts are so high and give us a few predictions for who might play Coachella next year. Um, We're not talking about The Batman being on HBO Max today, which is a a big deal because it's the first time that a major superhero movie like this has gone to streaming just six weeks after debuting in theaters. Um, Not quite the day and date, you know, available the same day as we saw in 2021 with all the Warner Brothers movies, but I think this is the new normal for big blockbuster movies. They're just going to be on streaming a lot sooner than they used to be. And it'll be interesting to see how much that impacts the box office, because I think there is a certain amount of audience out there who will think twice about going to theaters if they know that they can just wait a few weeks and watch it at home. Uh, The various studios have different plans on how they're doing that. Universal is giving movies three weeks, possibly longer for certain titles. Um, You know, the the Disney model seems to be to give movies uh, at least a little bit of a window in theaters and then put them directly on Disney+. Plus. And here we got the Warner Brothers model. All right, enough about Batman. We're going to go into Coachella and the music business with Lucas. I'm Matt Bellany, and this is The Town. All right, we are here with Lucas Shaw, our Monday morning quarterback. And Lucas, you did not go to Coachella,
2: am I right? Yeah, first time not going to Coachella in a long time. Very sad about it. It means you're getting older. It means you're growing up. I'll be back next year. Okay. But you did write an
0: interesting piece this past weekend about concert tickets and the prices for concert tickets and why you and I and everyone else are paying more likely for most concert tickets. And it's an interesting question because I've had conversations with people in the music business who say to me, yeah, concert tickets are super expensive, but you know what? We could probably charge double and people would pay it. And most artists don't want to do that because they don't want to piss off their fans. But is, you know, coming out of this pandemic and the people, the demand for live experiences and musicians who haven't
2: toured in a few years is just off the charts, right? Yeah, I mean, there's never been a better time to charge more for your concert, I'd say, because the interest level is clearly there, um, especially at the high end. I mean, it's 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 always dangerous with live music to paint with too broad a brush because there's so many different levels of touring and venues and all that thing. But especially at the the top, top end, you can charge lots of money. The average ticket price industry-wide is up 10% over 2019. I think if you were to take the top 100 tours, it'd be up way more than that. I mean, Bad Bunny is charging an average of almost 180 bucks a night. I haven't seen the publicly listed numbers on BTS, but I think the cheapest tickets there almost are starting in that kind of 140 to 180 range.
0: And you reported that they made $8
2: million a night on their recent LA shows. That's pretty good. They played four shows in LA in December. And I think HYBE, which is the company that manages and sort of does all things BTS, reported that they made something like $33 million from those four shows. And that's just ticket sales. Keep in mind that, like, BTS fans, they're buying the $60 light stick that they need to interact during the show. They're buying the $80 hoodie. They're, you know, they've set up separate merchandise stations they were in Vegas this past weekend, or really for the last two weekends, and they had a, a whole separate pop-up store for merchandise on top of what you could buy at the concert venue.
0: The uh, the earnings for Live Nation, which is really the barometer of the music business, I think, uh, the live music business, they're expected to make about $2 billion this quarter, and it, that would be among That would be about a record. So clearly they have come out of the pandemic pretty well.
2: I mean, they're saying, I I interviewed a couple of executives from Live Nation the past couple of weeks, that they think that this is going to be their biggest year ever, driven largely by North America and Latin America, where they've invested a bunch of money over the last little bit. Um, You know, there are still holes in in Europe and in Asia. You know, a lot of these markets in Asia are shut down. And so I, I talked also with some ticketing experts who don't think that Live Nation will actually get to the numbers that they're projecting. Um, but, but yes, Live Nation is a good bellwether for the, for the market. It seems like the numbers are going up. It's not great for everyone because the other side of this is even though demand is really high, there's also a, kind of an unprecedented glut of tours out at the same time. And so, you know, do yeah, you let's want, talk about that. Yeah. So like
0: who, who is not selling?
2: Well, Jay Balvin postponed one of his tours uh, recently. I was told that this was because it was not selling well at all. He blamed it on COVID. And it is true that that. COVID has led to higher costs for some tours and you have to be ready. Like, are we going to shut it down for a couple of days because this happens? Or can we get the truckers that we need to, to drive us? You'd think that a star of Jay Balvin's magnitude would would be immune to a lot of this. I mean, other than Bad Bunny, he's probably the biggest Latin star in the world. Um, and some of it just, you know, crappy timing they just screw up some component of it and once you don't sell well out of the gate it just sort of dooms you and then there are a bunch of festivals that maybe that I don't think most people would know about some of them in Europe um but but a bunch of festivals that are not selling well because there's again so many
0: festivals so if you're an artist and you're looking to maximize your revenue right now is it is it really a um a question of size of venue and booking these top venues or is there so many are there so many artists out on tour now
2: that you really have to think about saturation of the market? I think you, you need to be sure in your audience, you need to be sure on dates, you need to be sure on venues. I mean, the music business, is, you talk to someone about, say, trying to book for this fall. Most of the most of the smart people will book further advance in that. But I was talking to someone this past week who said that if you tried to to get something for the fall, you'd be like the 14th or 15th hold, which means that the the booker for that venue has like a list of the people who are in line trying to get in. And you'd be 14th or 15th in line for one of those venues on a given night. So I think if you're not already out this year, you're definitely waiting until next year, probably until next summer, to try to do a big tour. But we're also in this weird kind of shakeout period because you had, you know, Dua Lipa is on tour right now. Her album came out in March 2020. She normally would have been out there probably summer, fall 2020— into 2021 and instead she's touring right now against other people who are either about to put out music or who have, who, who have just put out music.
0: So let's talk about Coachella a little bit, because it's the biggest music festival in the world at this point. point, two weekends. Uh, we're in the middle of it right now. This past weekend seemed to go pretty well. The headlines I saw was Harry Styles brought out Shania Twain. Um, Billie Eilish couldn't seem to believe that she was headlining Coachella. Um, Give me your predictions. Next year,
2: Coachella, who's going to headline? Uh, my number one prediction is Bad Bunny, if he's up for it. He's in the middle of what will probably be the biggest tour of the year, or definitely top three. Um, you know, Would he, he be the first Latin artist? That's a good question. I'd have to double check. I think so, but I'm not— The headline, I think, for sure. Um but he is supposed to drop new music in the fall. He will have just sold out arena tours in Latin America and the US. So he'll prove that he could command, you know, a hundred thousand people. So I think he he's got to be first choice. And Coachella has worked. You know, you've seen over the years they've they've integrated K-pop, they've integrated Latin. Actually, that's another one. They should they should be moving heaven and earth to get BTS for for next year because they'll have put out a new album in June. They're doing these like pop-up tours. They've had Blackpink already. They've had a bunch of the K-pop acts. BTS would would be a big one. Um, but you've seen Coachella shift to just more mainstream pop. I mean, their are headliners this year, Harry Styles, Billie Eilish, and The Weeknd and Swedish House Mafia. Usually you could rely on there always being like a rock act and a hip-hop act. There was an era where there's always an electronic act. That has mostly faded out. Um so it depends also a little bit on who blows up over the next little bit, and and who comes out with new music. Like if Rihanna finally drops an album, I'm sure Coachella would love to try to book her. I don't know that she's ever headlined there.
0: And they try to get people before... They go out and tour the world. Is that
2: right? To to make sure that it feels extra exclusive. I mean, depending on who it is, Coachella is the kind of the unofficial start of festival season. And so they don't want someone who has just played a bunch of other festivals because then the odds of you selling out are lower. I mean, Coachella is a little bit immune to this now because it's become a brand unto itself. But if you look over the last, there was sort of a period three or four years ago where people were starting to worry about festival homogeneity and fatigue because Live Nation and AEG had bought up all these festivals. And so they were kind of booking the same artists everywhere. And so you had these very famous festivals like Bonnaroo that were struggling to sell out because the the roster of artists and the headliners didn't seem that special. The event itself didn't seem that special. And I think Coachella has historically always tried to do something that was different, that sometimes would be like some big reunion that nobody thought of or getting somebody's first festival headlining gig. Um, so if they wanted to go after a, a you know someone like a Dua Lipa, they'd have to ask. They'd want her at the very least to have new music because she would have spent all of twenty twenty two performing at different festivals, she's and at different app, you know at different um, arenas, uh, and so she'd need to have something new to offer the crowd. My prediction, Olivia Rodrigo, if she's got new music, absolutely. But keep in mind that right now. Olivia Rodrigo is selling out sort of amphitheater levels. So you you break up live music. There's like the club level, which can be you know a thousand to five thousand amphitheaters, like five three to ten arenas are closer to twenty. Stadiums are more like sixty to hundred. If you want to if you want to headline Coachella, you had a minute. You either you got to be a stadium act or you have to be a really really strong arena act. And Olivia Rodrigo has not proven that yet. So I'd be surprised. And she's on tour right now, so she's got a year to prove that. She does, but she's playing a very specific size venue. Dua Lipa right now right, is right. playing arenas, so she has done that. Harry Styles, who is he- headlining this weekend, Billy Eilish, who's headlining this, or headlining Coachella right now, both of them have proven they can sell out arenas. And Live Nation controls all of this. I mean, that's the crazy thing
0: is that not Coachella. You, oh, they don't. That's right. They, that's one of the few that they don't. Yeah.
2: Um, wh- who does control Coachella right now? Coachella was started uh, by this guy Paul Tillette, and it's run still run by his company Golden Voice, which is owned by AEG, which is kind of the number two concert promoter. But the kind of unofficial agreement, or maybe official agreement, has always been that even though Golden Voice is a you know is is owned by AEG, um, that Paul Tillette has pretty much free reign when it comes to Coachella.
0: Yeah, there was a fascinating New Yorker profile of him a few years ago about Coachella and how it all comes together, if I recommend. No, he, he does no press.
2: I mean, it's kind of infuriating to reporters. He's done a little bit more as it's gone on, and he wants to sort of bask in his success. But for the most part, he tries to just let the festival speak for itself. All right.
0: Well, uh, I look forward to you attending next year with Olivia Rodrigo and Dua Lipa and maybe Adele. Maybe Adele would show up. (laughs) All right. Lucas Shaw, head of the media group at Bloomberg. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Matt. All right. We are back with the call sheet. I'm here with producer Craig. Craig, did you go to Coachella?
1: No, I enjoyed L.A., which is the best time of year when, when Coachella is happening because most of the bars are half is filled. All the influencers are gone. That's great.
0: It is nice. It does feel like there is a level of person that is not around. And in L.A., that makes it a lot nicer.
1: I went to a couple of bars this weekend with some friends, and all the booths that are typically swarmed with people were actually available. I, I got to watch the Warriors game at the bungalow. It was great.
0: And if you really want to see the bands, you could stream Coachella. I followed a sad Twitter feed of a PR person I know who was watching Coachella via the live stream and pretending that he was having a little party in his house, even though I'm pretty sure it was solo. Oh. Yeah, that happens. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So I want to check in a little bit on a prediction I made last week about Fantastic Beasts. The tracking was about 50 million. I took the under, came in at 43 million, which uh, I will say is a victory for me. I did okay on that one. Even though Warner Brothers had lowballed, they were telling people it was only going to make 40. Um nobody really believed that, but it did come in at 43, which is not a complete bomb. I mean, yes, the last edition of this franchise made 62 million, and before that, the original Fantastic Beast was 74 million. So, certainly it is a declining franchise. Um but these movies make the majority of their money overseas. So, I think we're going to have to wait to see if Fantastic piece ultimately ends up um, doing well. It's going to have a hard time making it to break even just because it costs $200 million. I
1: have a question. Does merchandise sales factor into a movie's overall earnings?
0: Oh, of course. Yeah. I mean, I was at Universal Studios this weekend with my kid, and the Harry Potter area there is just like crazy crowded. I mean, they're selling, you know, $10 Butterbeers and $200 Magic Wands, like, through the roof. But interestingly, they did not promote the movie there because, obviously, Universal is not Warner Brothers. They have a license to the Harry Potter property. Um, Warner Brothers releases the movies. Um, But they don't factor that into box office. But it does factor into whether to keep the franchise going, which is the big question now for Warners. And my prediction of the day is that the Harry Potter franchise we'll take a little bit of a break. They're gonna have to reset, reboot, go back to to JK Rowling, say, okay, this didn't, you know, turn out exactly as we wanted, but the franchise is still alive. We need to figure out the next steps and hopefully she'll be on board.
1: What's her incentive to stay on board and, and keep cranking stuff out now, other than money? I mean, can't she see that these movies aren't as successful? Wouldn't she also be kind of into taking a break?
0: It's relevance, I think, you know, keep in mind she's done other things there's a Harry Potter video game coming out there was a there's a Broadway play that's very successful that are all kind of offshoots you know now for her it's about managing the property and the entire engine around the world is benefited from there being movies in this franchise that keep coming out um, and I think that she probably knows that there's also a lot of stakeholders. I mean, you've got Warner Brothers, you've got Universal, you've got all the producers, everybody kind of wants to keep this going. And it's like I have said last week, it's sort of fiscally irresponsible not to keep these movies coming out because you have all the other stuff that benefits from it. Um, maybe you make them at a lower cost. Maybe you bring in a new creative steward someone who can take a fresh look at this property and say, okay, what is the essence of what people like about the Harry Potter wizarding world and reboot it in a way that won't feel tired like these movies started feeling?
1: It's so disappointing now that this is where we are, where everything is so financially driven. This feels so clinical being like, we need to figure out a way to, to keep this alive and keep this afloat. I wonder even, you know, maybe we could get a Harry Potter super fan to tell us if they even enjoy Fantastic Beasts and if they want more content to just keep cranking out.
0: I mean, to be honest, they don't, they don't really matter. I mean, ultimately the fans are what matter, but like people who people will say, oh, I'm sick of the movies and then a new one comes out and they'll go, they'll see, go it. see it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Warner Brothers has a new owner in Discovery and they're trying to figure out what all of these franchises mean. I mean, they're looking at the DC properties and saying, well, wait a second, you have Superman. What's going on with Superman? Why is there not a Superman movie in development? and Warner Brothers will say well we have 5 DC movies coming out this year you can't just say let's do a superman movie superman's actually a really difficult character to adapt over the years because mm-hmm. he's immortal i mean the marvel heroes are great because they are funny and have flaws and you know they do different they they have more nuanced characters superman is sort of a god like what's interesting about a god Um, and you know, they have to figure that out. And I don't think that Warner brothers and the DC properties have had the same level of creative execution as the Marvel properties have had over the years. And that's translated into the financial success, but with Harry Potter, they just need to figure out what these movies are, what they mean and who will oversee them because they got, um, there there's, you know, there's very little left in the tank at this point. All right. That is the call sheet. That is the town for today um i'd like to thank lucas shaw i'd like to thank producer craig horbeck and i'd like to thank you
1: we will see you wednesday